Some time ago, I read a cute little story. The story is from a man named Greg Wyans. He said this, One afternoon, while playing on a wooden picnic table, my four-and-a-half-year-old son, Jordan, ran a splinter into his finger. Of course, the little fella began to cry and sob because, as you know, splinters hurt. I don't know if you've ever gotten a splinter in your finger. They do hurt, don't they? I can remember one time when I was little, I think I was in kindergarten, we had um, some rabbits. I grew up on a farm, and we had some rabbit food sitting on a, a little wooden bench in the garage, and I ran in there to get the, the food, and I ran a splinter into my finger under the fingernail all the way down to that little half-moon thing, you know, that that hurt. Splinters hurt. So I can, I can, you know, kind of understand what this kid was going through. Well, young Jordan was crying, and he was sobbing, and as his mother tried to take out the splinter, he was putting up a fuss. He wouldn't have any of that because he didn't want his mother to remove the splinter. So he said that he wanted her to call his dad who was at work. So she rang the phone number and his dad answered and he said, Jordan, what is it you want to talk to me about? And he said, I don't want my mother to take the splinter out. I want God to take it out. The father replied, well, your mother can remove it very easily. You need to let her do it. But he wouldn't have it. And so finally, when his father got home in the evening, he convinced him that he could take out the splinter and it was taken out. But Jordan wanted God to take it out because he said, if he takes it out, it won't hurt. I don't know about you, but that's kind of good thinking for a four-year-old kid, don't you think? Well, this morning... Uh, that may be a funny story, and how does that introduce what we're going to talk about? But on a larger scale, you know, there are people who are doubting and deny the existence of God. Four-year-old Jordan believed in the existence of God, but there are a lot of adults today who do not acknowledge God, or some don't even think He exists. I think, you've heard as I have, people say, well, if there were a God, why is all this trouble and our bad things going on in the world? Why do we have the things that we've just recently seen in the news going on? If God were in existence and He is good like you said He would, He wouldn't allow this to happen. Interesting perspective, especially in light of our recent tragedies. I've even heard people say, to try to disprove the existence of God, that if God is real, 
I want him to strike me dead right now. You ever heard that one? I've heard it. And because God doesn't stoop to their idiocy and doesn't drop them dead at that point, they think they've proved their point. Isn't it interesting that people try to draw God down to their level? I would assume, if you notice on your handout, that you are, who are here this morning don't have a problem in knowing that God exists. The reason we don't is because we have his word and we believe his word. We've come to know him as our Lord and Savior. Also, we can see, as the book of Romans says, that from the creation of the world, it is clearly seen his attributes. And we understand that. You may be wondering this morning if all of that is true, and it is, what's God doing? With all the things that we see going on in the world, with the tragedies that happen in people's lives, when bad things happen to good people, what's God doing? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you this. I know what God's doing. And he's not removing splinters from little boy's fingers. But he is at work in the world. I'd like for you this morning, if you would, we'll have answers to those questions. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. The book of Joshua chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy... Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, the scripture says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the growing, going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning to this time when we look into your word, we want to thank you that you have bid us to gather together to worship you as a body. We thank you for the opportunities we've had this past week in reading and studying your word to worship you in that way. And yet, Father, you've bid us to come as a congregation to worship together. 
We thank you that you have promised us that when we meet together, that you meet with us. And so we welcome you here this morning. Pray that you might touch our hearts, that you might move in our lives, that you might clarify our thinking, that you might help us to think right, that we might do right so that we will feel right. Father, again, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that you would use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen. Just before we read our text this morning, you remember we were talking about the existence of God and what he is doing in the world. And we stated that the Bible, that Bible believers have no problem trying to prove the existence of God. We don't feel compelled in our everyday life to go out and to try to convince people that God exists. And you know why we don't do that? Because the Bible never does it. As we come to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God. It never goes at any length to try to make people believe that God exists. It assumes he does. We know, as we said from Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And then he says this, so that they are without excuse. God shows himself in creation. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so when people today try to say that you believe in God, and you believe in prayer, and you believe in all these things when tragedies and all that happen, you're a fool. Now, the Bible says the unbeliever is the fool. Believing Christian is not the fool. Well, those familiar with the Old Testament, those who know the Bible, understand that not only did God create the world and all the universe, but God also set in motion all of history. Beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember Adam and Eve sinned, God then set in motion his great plan of redemption. And by the way, as Matt mentioned this morning, do you know when God set his love on us? Before the foundation of the world. That's what the scripture says. Adam and Eve sinned. God set in motion his plan of redemption. In Genesis chapter 12, we learned that at that point in history, God looked down on sinful and lost humanity, and he chose a man by the name of Abram, who lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. Did you know that Abraham, the scripture says, was an idol worshiper? God chose him, and God promised Abraham that if he would put his faith in him, that he would bless him 
with a land. He would bless him with a son who he would make into a great nation. And he blessed him that there would come one through his seed who would be a blessing to the whole world. And who is that? Jesus Christ. Abraham responded to God's call. He believed God's command. And he left Ur of the Chaldees. And God counted it unto him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6 says that. As biblical history moved on, Abraham did have a son, a miracle son. I think Greg touched on it last Sunday, who said he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90, and they had Isaac. Also, Isaac was blessed with a set of twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And through Jacob, God brought into existence 12 sons who were the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons of Jacob, named Joseph, was hated by his older brothers because his father kind of had him as a special Remember, he gave him a coat of many colors, and he had some dreams, and one day they conspired that they were going to kill the dreamer, and instead they sold him to the Ishmaelites into Egypt. God used Joseph in Egypt. Although it seemed humanly a tragedy, God used Joseph in Egypt to what? Save Israel alive during the famine. Joseph said that God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And through God's providential care, Joseph had his father, his brothers, and all of their children and brought them into the land of Egypt. But you remember the pharaohs of Egypt who knew Joseph eventually died off. And there arose in Egypt a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And he saw that the rapidly increasing number of Israelites who were in, remember the land of Goshen, which was a very fertile area, that they were becoming so numerous that if they should conspire with an enemy of, of uh, Egypt, that Egypt would be defeated. And so he put burdens on the people. You remember they were made to endure great hardships. But God didn't forget his promise to Israel, to Abraham, and to Isaac and Jacob. And in his time, he raised up a great leader by the name of Moses. You know the story of Moses. He led this huge multitude whom most scholars believe are about two million people at that time. Led him through the Red Sea. God brought the children of Israel miraculously through the Red Sea. 
But Pharaoh's army, as they were trying to chase them through the Red Sea, was drowned. Amazing thing. Israel came out on the other side after they went through on dry ground. And they came into the land, and you'll remember that they wandered in the wilderness after the Red Sea incident for 40 years. And God then eventually brought them back to the edge of the land, the land of promise, whom God had said to Abraham he would give him a land, a son, and a blessed seed. During all of this time of the exodus and the wilderness wanderings, Moses had led Israel. But now, as they were ready to go into the land, Moses was told he couldn't go in. And you remember the reason was because he didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock. And God told Moses, because he did that, that he would not go into the land. And Moses died. Look back, if you would, to just a page in your Bible, should be, to Deuteronomy chapter 34. It says, Then Moses, verse 1, went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. So here's Israel on the verge of going into the land that was promised to them. And their leader, Moses, dies. The interesting thing is, because Moses, as we said, had failed to obey God, he died, couldn't go into the land, and that's the setting. I've gone through all of that for our text this morning. Joshua is about to step into a big pair of sandals. I mean, think about Moses. Joshua's going to follow him in the leadership role. 
And what we can learn from this text this morning, we can learn what God is doing. I would like you to know that when we look into the Old Testament, we need to remember Romans chapter 15.4. Romans 15.4 says that whatever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Hope. When we study the scriptures we can have confident expectation because God is teaching us something. And through the whole book of Joshua, it tells us a whole lot about God and why we can trust Him and what He is doing and what He was doing then, God is doing now. Remember, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what He said to Joshua. Joshua has a lot to teach us about the Lord. So let's look in our text this morning, and the first thing that we learn of what God is doing, and this is going to shock you. You know, Peter wrote something in the book of, I think it's 2 Peter, he said, I think it's important that I stir you up by way of remembrance. You know, a lot of times when we study Scripture and we read and we have sermons and all of those types of things, it's not that so much often that we have to learn something, wow, man, great and brand new and something we've never seen before, although we do have that happen, right? But a lot of times we just need to be reminded. Do you know why? We forget. We forget. This morning, the first thing I want you to see what God is doing, God is working. God's at work. God is at work in our lives. God is at work in nations. God is at work in the world. Scripture says he never sleeps nor does he ever slumber. Did you know God is never uninformed about what's happening? God isn't unaware of what's going on. The tragedies that we see happen in the world, the things that happen around us, wars and all of these type of things. Do you know God is not caught like, Oh, man, I didn't know that was going to happen. There was a a book written years ago that I can remember reading. It was written by a guy named Rabbi Kushner. And he said why bad things happen to good people is because, yeah, God created the world and all the things that are in the world and set everything into motion, but now everything has just gotten out of control and they can't do anything. That was a teacher. That's called open theology. That God is just caught unaware and can't do anything to stop what's going on. Not true. Not true. 
Notice verses 1 and 2. It says, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Remember, God had made these promises to Abraham in Genesis 12, giving them the land. That's why we went through all of that. But here we are in the book of Joshua, and God is about to fulfill that promise. He's made it well over 400 years. And he's about to fulfill this promise. And he's not going to use Abraham. He's not going to use Isaac. He's not going to use Jacob. And he's not going to use Moses. He's going to use Joshua to take the people into the land. You know, when you think about it, when you think about these men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, they were all pretty important, weren't they? Big names. I mean, notice what God says. They seem to be pretty indispensable, and yet God says in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. He says, Moses, his servant, in verse 1. He says, Moses, his servant, in verse 13. And God calls him Moses, the servant of the Lord. He does the same in verse 15. And he'll talk about Moses, the servant of the Lord, 13 more times in the book of Joshua. Moses was a big deal, right? Moses was very important. His name appears over 50 times in the book of Joshua. Pretty important guy. Indispensable, right? Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 through 12. Look at that, if you would, with me again for a minute. Verse 10, it says in Deuteronomy 34, But since then there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Moses is dead. Yet you know what? God's still working. Moses' death didn't rattle God. Moses, with all his mighty works and all the people, came to the point where they thought Moses, I mean, they almost reverenced him at times, and then there were times they wanted to kill him. But he did mighty things. 
God was working, though. He was raising up Joshua. Did the same thing with Elijah. Remember that? Elijah was followed by Elisha. It wasn't just a coincidence that Elisha was ready to take over from Elijah. It happened because God was working. God was working in his life. They were prepared. God prepared them. God was working when everybody else didn't notice. All you have to do is go back and look in the life of Moses and you'll see how God was raising up Joshua. Do you know that Joshua was born into the family of the son of a uh, family of Nun, verse 1 tells us. Joshua was born in the time of Egyptian slavery. He witnessed the signs and wonders God had worked. He saw the Lord open the Red Sea. God was working and preparing Joshua for the battles and the conquest of Canaan. Exodus 17 tells us Joshua learned to be a great soldier. God was working in Joshua's life, preparing him when he was becoming Moses' servant. He accompanied Moses to the mount when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And during Israel's wilderness wanderings, Moses had a special tent set up where he could meet with God. And you know what Joshua's responsibility was during that time? To guard that tent. Joshua was one of the spies who went into the land of Canaan and brought back a good report and encouraged the people that they could go into the land because God would fight for them. All the time Moses was leading, God was working, raising Joshua. God's always at work. He's always raising up people. You know, I, I'll never forget. I can remember this was said in a pastorate that I was in when some of the and I'm now one of the older people in the church, okay? So when I say some of the older people in the church then, I was younger, but some of the older people in the church were kind of despairing because, you know, they would see some of these great leaders die off. And I can remember one person saying, well, things just aren't going to be the same without that, that so-and-so as a, as a leader of the church. I had to laugh. God always has his people. God is always working to raise up his people. Did you know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? God always has his people. Even somebody as great as Moses could die and not lead the children of Israel into the land of, of uh, into the land, and God had somebody who could capably do it. God's always working. I'm reminded, I don't know if 
how well you know the book of Habakkuk. Very interesting book. In fact, one time I preached through it. In the book of Habakkuk, the children of Israel, actually Judah at the time, because the northern kingdom was already taken into captivity, and there was a lot of violence, a lot of sin, a lot of things going on, and Habakkuk the prophet was complaining to God saying, why aren't you doing something about this? Why do I see violence? Why do I see a lack of justice? And God tells Habakkuk, you know, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And it's interesting, as you go on through chapter 1 of Habakkuk, that God says, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to raise up the evil, filthy Babylonians to chastise Israel. That's what I'm working on. You know what Habakkuk says? You can't do that. You, you can't do that. You're, you're God. You're, you're, you're merciful. You're, 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 you can't do it. He did. You know why? Because God has a plan. He's working on it. God is working in our world. He has a plan. And everything is going to turn out just as he says in his word. Because he's working. Don't ever allow things in this world to get you so upset that you forget to know and understand that God is working. He's got it. We should be praying. We should be doing what we're supposed to be doing. But understand this. God is working. Second thing I want us to understand this morning. When we answer the question. What is God doing? God's not out of business here. Like I said he's working. What we learned this morning also is that God is communicating. God is working, and God also is communicating. God's speaking. Verses 1 and 2 again says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. God is communicating. Remember, Israel is on the verge of going into the land. They're about to cross the Jordan River. They haven't crossed yet. Moses dies. Tragedy. And God speaks to Joshua. 
And God tells Joshua that he is to take the people into the promised land. Now before Moses died, he commanded Joshua to be a representative among the people. Moses had reassured Joshua that he was God's man. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 28, it says, But charge Joshua, and encourage him, and strengthen him, for he shall go over before the people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you shall see. Moses was able to see it, but Moses was not allowed to go in. But now in our text, after Moses dies, God speaks to Joshua directly. And he tells him what he wants Joshua to do. I need to ask you this this morning. Is God speaking today? Is God communicating today? You better shake your head yes, because that's just the point we made. Right? God is communicating He's not communicating and necessarily speaking like he did in those days before we had all of the completed scriptures. When there were prophets and seers and all of these types of people. Remember in the book of Hebrews says that God in various times and various manners spoke in times to the fathers by the prophets. In various ways. But God is speaking to us today. We have in the Gospels and all the books of the New Testament, we have books. What God has said. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us in John 316, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given to us by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's God breathed. God speaking. We have the completed word of God to man. God has given us everything he wants us to know. And he's speaking to us today. He speaks to us today when there are tragedies, when there are things that are going on that we don't understand, things that we don't like. God's speaking. And the question is, are you listening? Do you know that it takes effort to listen? Let me give you an example. I think it was last Sunday, Dan and I were talking about the fact, you know, sometimes people introduce themselves to you that you don't know, and you shake their hand, they tell you who they are, and you walk away, and you cannot remember what they said. Right? Am I the only one that does that? Did you know you have to work to listen? Listening is, is not easy. How many times when somebody is saying something, you're thinking in your mind something you're going to come back to 
about that, and you're not even listening to what they're saying. Right? God is speaking. Are we listening? You know, when I grew up, I grew up in a family, a, a, a religious family. We, we went to church every Sunday. It wasn't a Bible-believing church. It was a works-based church. And we had in our living room, in the corner, I can still visualize it. As a little kid, there was this corner table. And on that table sat a great big red Bible. You know, that Bible was used for a number of things. I can remember there were important family pictures stored in that Bible. I can remember there were even four-leaf clovers pressed in that Bible. The interesting thing was my grandfather, from the day I can ever remember him, he always wore these dark sunglasses and he would walk around in the yard like this and he could go all of a sudden reach down and there'd be a four-leaf clover. I could never find him. He could find him looking through those, those dark glasses. You know, also there were some corsages pressed in it. You know, that big old Bible was pretty good press. That Bible was used for a lot of things, but one thing that it wasn't used for, it wasn't used for reading. Never read it. Nobody did that I ever remember in my family. You know the sad thing? There are some Christians who claim to be Christians, who have a similar situation in that they have a Bible, but they never read it. I asked one time, well, maybe I shouldn't say this, <laughs> but I asked one time in a church meeting, how many people, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you read your Bible every day, how many people wouldn't raise their hands? It's interesting. You see, God is communicating. God is working. Are you listening? It takes effort to listen. The writer of Hebrews tells us that by the time that these people should be teachers, they still had people that needed to teach them the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And the reason he said it was is because they had become sluggish in listening. Jesus even said when he told the parables of the soils and the and, and the the disciples came up to him and said, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he says, because they have eyes to see and ears to hear, yet they do not see 
and they do not hear and they do not understand. Hearing takes work. We can become lazy listeners. Scripture tells us, as I said, that we need to work at listening. Hearing takes work. You know, we can be reading and not hearing. You know what I found out as a pastor? I, I was studying the Bible every day preparing messages and studies and all of those types of things. You know what I, I, I had to kind of come to grips with in myself? That I was studying, but oftentimes I wasn't listening. James talks about the fact that we can be hearers of the word and not doers if we're hearing the word and not doing the word we're not listening God's communicating James goes on to say let me illustrate that it's like a man that looks into a mirror and he sees his natural face in the mirror sees what he is and immediately he goes away and forgets what he saw. You know, you go look in the mirror and you go, oh man, look at that. wonder how many people saw that on my face. Then you walk away and never do anything about it. We need to be doers of the word. Not just hearers. Finally, in answering the question, what is God doing? God is emphasizing his promises. God is emphasizing his promises. Let's go back again to Joshua chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I don't know about you, pretty well sounds to me like God's emphasizing the promises there, don't you think? He's emphasizing what he has told Moses. He's emphasizing the promise he's made to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joseph, he's emphasizing it all. Israel on the verge of entering the land, the promised land, and God speaks to Joseph, and he arms him with his promises. It's interesting and important to note in that description that the whole land was promised to Israel. From the Mediterranean Sea, the Great Sea, to the Euphrates, north and south, east and west. But if you know the book of Joshua, you know that Israel didn't occupy all the land, did they? God promised the whole land to them. But they didn't occupy it all. Why is that? It's not because God's promise wasn't any good. It was because they failed to possess it. Notice that he said... Everywhere where your foot shall, what? Step. I'll give it to you. You know, when God makes promises, some promises are conditional and some are unconditional. Unconditional promises, it takes no condition on our part for the promise to be true. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. True, right? Jesus said, Lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world, the end of the age. True. No condition on our part. There were conditions on Israel taking the land. Do you know? Israel didn't occupy all the land because they didn't claim the promise. They occupied some of it, but not all of it. Jesus' second coming will happen. It's an unconditional promise. Joshua's going to be told that if he commits the word of God to his heart, he shall have great success. There's a condition. God is emphasizing his promises, and the question is, are we claiming the promises? We're going to look at that more in the next session. Are we claiming them? I'd like for you to turn, if you would, to 1 John 
chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. One of the things I like about the book of 1 John is it tells us that we can know that we know we're our child of God. You can know that you know. I grew up in a church that said that you could never know whether you're going to get to heaven until you died. You can know now. Look in verse 1, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commands. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Did you ever hear of that uh, company by the name of Nike? Did you ever hear of that? Did you know that that word is from the Greek, Nike, which means conqueror? And that's the very word that's used here. Overcomer, he who overcomes, victory. That's where they got the name. I don't know if it was from the Bible, but they got it from the Greek. Did you know that whatever goes on in the world, whatever happens in our lives, God is emphasizing the promise that you and I are conquerors. Better than the shoes, we are conquerors. Do you believe it? Do you live like it? It's what we are. God's promised it to us. We're conquerors. So what's God doing today? Well, God's working. Do you believe that? Whatever happens, God's communicating. It's in His Word. Are you listening? Are you doing? And God is emphasizing His promises. When all this tragedy that's going on, God's not out of control. I'll never forget <clears throat> when I was in seminary in, Chatt in Chattanooga, I when we got there, I, I bought from one of my professors 
a little, what color was that Dodson? Orange. I always thought it was brown. She told me it was orange. That's why I had to ask. Because I was going to say brown and she was like, no, it was orange. A little orange Dodson. Nissan. And I can remember in the newspaper or something, there was this super duper tune-up deal that you could take your car in for this discounted price they would get all you know everything would be checked and it would be good plus they gave a 60 day guarantee took the car in had them do all the things and the reason I did was because the distributor in those days and boy I'm aging myself but it had dual points in it not just one set of points it had dual points so took it in, they did everything. On day 61, I drove that little Dodson to the bank to put a deposit in, shut the car off, did all the paperwork, stuffed it in the whoop, whatever, you know. And I tried to start that car and it would not start. 61 days and I cranked it and I cranked it and I cranked it and it turned over and turned over and finally it went boom smoke came out of the back end of the thing and I thought somebody's going to think I'm trying to rob this bank and I don't know we were in seminary, I had my wife with me and five kids. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? God was working. You know, a lot of times we can get to the point in our lives where we say, God, what are you doing? We need to be encouraged this morning from his word that God is at work, that God is communicating, and God is emphasizing his promises, and we just need to get in line with it.